Good morning, everybody. This has been a bizarre week. Is that not true? Yes, it is. Uh, all of us have our stories, but I want to hear just some response about a couple of questions I've got for you. And I'm talking about all of those who are online on all three, uh, four campuses. If you would respond to this, I'd so appreciate it. How many of you lost power this week at your house? How many of you? Aha, uh -huh. almost everybody. That way at the Sugarland campus, it's probably that way at Missouri City and Richmond Rosenberg and in your home if you're watching online. Well, here's another question. Uh, how many of you lost power more than once? That lost it, came back, lost it again. Okay, I, oh wow, more than I expected. Lost it more than once. How many of you, here's a third question, how many of you had at least one pipe that broke because of this, look at everybody. Did you know, uh, I, I've had, I got that story too. Did you know I was talking to a plumber yesterday and he said to me that usually in their business, they have about 8,000 calls for repairs during the year. Over the last week, they've had 5,000 call. He said, we're going crazy where we are. And that's the case probably for every single plumber or even a person who isn't a plumber, but acts like he is getting calls right and left, right and left. Well, let me tell you our story. On Monday morning, our son and daughter-in-law, Matt and Shara and, and their kids, they lost power at their house. And so they came over to our house. And Shara's parents, who live in the area, lost power in their house. So they came over to our house. We love each other. We're comfortable with each other. We just enjoy each other's company. And so we had at our house 10 people for two weeks. And during those two weeks, we had them two days. <laughs> and during those... No, it didn't feel like two weeks at all. It just felt like two days. We, for two days, we had, we had 10 people in our house and it was so much fun. Seriously, we did all kinds of stuff, long talks. We, we played table games. We had the best time, the greatest time. And then uh, during that time though, on Tuesday afternoon, all of a sudden, two of the pipes in my house broke. Now, it just so happens that they were in a spot that did not flood the house. And so we didn't really have any damage. Yay, God, we turned off the water. But now we've got 10 people with no water in the house. And then later in the day, uh, about, uh, it, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock, whatever it was at night on Tuesday night, all of a sudden we had no electricity we got 10 people with no water and no electricity. But in the morning on Wednesday morning, all of a sudden, uh, both families that had come to our home, now they've got electricity, they go back to their house. And the next day on Thursday, the next night or that night on Wednesday night, it had been about 26 hours of no electricity. Suddenly our electricity comes back on. And then the next day, late, late, late Thursday night, we get a plumber and we get our pipes fixed and we have water. And that is our story. You've got your story. 
I want to say a big yay, God, for Missouri City and shout out to our Missouri City congregation. There was a family at Missouri City that had all kinds of damage. They had pipes breaking and it was flooding their house. And so many of our families at Missouri City went over to their home, helped them get everything cleaned up. You are amazing. You are wonderful. This is what the church of Jesus Christ is about. Helping each other, being there for each other in the time of need. There we are. And I am so proud of our Missouri City campus, Richmond Rosenberg campus. It was happening all over, just like Ben had said a few moments ago. We're so proud of what God is doing in the life of our church. If you think about it, we all have our stories and that's what life is about. Not only about, but it's a big part of life. All of life is about a sequence of one story after another, after another, after another. You're going to have a story today. Some of our stories are boring, but it's still a story. And we live out this collection of stories in our life. And today, I want to urge you to add a story to your life. If you haven't already, add a story. This is a story about when God, out of his love and care for us, sent his son to become our savior, to take on flesh and and bone and come and be our savior. And if this story has not become yours, I hope it'll be yours today. By the way, three weeks ago, an amazing thing happened. Three weeks ago, one of those who were watching online our service from Manchester, England, and watching online, and maybe you're watching again today, and we're, if you are, we're so grateful that you are. From Manchester, England, been watching our services, I don't know how long, but three weeks ago, she prayed and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And we're so proud of you. We are so proud of you, of what God's done in your life. And we happen to have a church that we partner with in Manchester, England, of all places. And we've gotten them connected. And uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. What God is doing. Did you know that there is a group right now, probably watching this service from Columbia, who have come to know the Lord, who got, got together as one group. Now there is a connect group in Columbia who watch our services, sometimes have to climb trees just to get enough power, bandwidth to watch the service. But here you are today and we welcome you and we're so grateful for you. And there's people all over the world. It's just amazing what God is doing in our midst. There's a story that God wants us to all know about his love for us. Jesus came to establish a relationship with God. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a relationship. Heavens knows there's plenty of religions around, too many religions around. But he didn't come to start a religion, he came to start a relationship with the Holy God. And did you know that most of the religions in the world, almost every single one of them say, you can't have a relationship with God. He is too distant, he's too far out there. But it's a lie because God sent his son to say to us, I want a relationship with you. I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want us to have a friendship and to walk together and know each other. And I want to introduce you to that God through his son, Jesus Christ today. That's what Philippians chapter two, verses five to 11 are all about. We've been going through the book of Philippians together and we've arrived at this incredible story about what God did to bring us into relationship with him. The story doesn't begin in Bethlehem. 
Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem and the star in the sky and the shepherds and the wise men and mooing cows. That isn't where Jesus began. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus never had a beginning. Jesus has always been. So what about this story? Let's take a look. The very first thing you've got to know about Jesus is the heavenly existence of Jesus Christ. And that's where Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 starts. So look at what it says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. The word nature means essence. Everything you can say about God, you can say about Jesus. The very essence, God. The Phillips translation says it this way. Jesus had always, 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 Jesus had always been God by nature. You know what he's saying in the passage? That Jesus is God. Everything you can say about God, you can say about Jesus. And it's not the only place in the New Testament. In fact, many places to the New Testament. For instance, in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. And then add at the end of that passage, that thought, verse 14. And listen to what he says. In the beginning was the Word, W-O-R-D. Now, the Word is Jesus. And we find that out in verse 14 of this passage. That Jesus is the Word that he's talking about. In the beginning was Jesus. And he was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now stop for a moment. How in the world could Jesus be with God and be God at the same time? Well, I'm going to explain that to you in just a few moments. But think of what he's saying. He is with God. He was God. Now notice what else then he says. All things were made through him And without him, meaning Jesus, nothing was made that was made. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, I thought God created everything. He did. And in this verse, it is saying Jesus created everything. How is that possible? It is the same answer of how he can be with God and God at the same time. Now look at verse 14, and we'll talk about it in a moment. Look at verse 14. And without him, nothing was made that was not made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What is he saying? He's saying here is this one who is God, who has taken on flesh and blood, and he has come into the earth. Uh, the, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not the only place. There are so many places in the New Testament that says these very things about Jesus, but not just in the New Testament. In the Jewish Bible that we call the Old Testament, listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It's talking about the Messiah coming. It's talking about this promised one of God coming and notice how it describes him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, meaning there will be a day in which all of the world rests on him. He is the Lord of all. And he shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Stop. He'll be called mighty God? A child? 
that is born, a son that is given, will be God himself, mighty God, and everlasting father. Now that phrase in the Hebrew language actually means the creator of eternity. That's what the phrase in literal Hebrew means. He'll be called mighty God. He will be called the creator of all eternity. This child that is born, this son that is given, and the prince of peace. Now explain this. He is the Messiah when he came. Jesus was not just a miracle worker. He was not just a excellent, wonderful teacher. He was not just a godly man. He was God who took on a body. The Bible teaches us that there is one God who has shown himself in three ways. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Explain that, I can't. If that is confusing to you, at least to some point, well, join the crowd. Well, if it's confusing to us, how can it be true? Let me tell you something. If God can only be God, if we can understand everything about him, then he can't be God. He is greater than us. He is greater than our understanding. I have come to a place that there are so many things in the Bible I don't understand, but I'm good with it because I'm talking about a God who is greater than me and thinks higher thoughts than I do. But when he says it, I believe it, and that just settles it. Even if I don't believe it, it's still true. This is God, and here's what God says to us all through his word, that he is one God but has shown himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The one thing that separates true Christianity from the cults, C-U-L-T-S, from cults, is this truth. This is what separates us. There is one God. Not many gods like Mormonism believes, who just believes there's, there are thousands of gods. There's only one God for this earth. He was assigned to this earth. But in the universe, there's thousands of God. And by the way, you can become a God yourself. That is Mormonism. There is one God in the universe, one God in all of, all of reality, who has shown himself as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is what separates us from Jehovah Witness who do not believe that Jesus is God, though the Bible says over and over he is. What separates true Christianity from cults is this great truth. Before Bethlehem ever happened, Jesus was God in heaven. Listen to Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all, anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and on earth. Before the universe was created, heaven already existed. And Jesus made all of heaven. And before then uh, the earth existed, the universe was created. And Jesus made all of the universe, including this planet, earth. He's the creator. The Bible says that from the very beginning, it was God's intention that God the Son come to this earth to be the savior of the world. Now, the story doesn't end with Jesus in heaven. It then unfolds to a new dimension and listen to how he puts it. God the son humbled himself to become a man. This little baby born in a manger there in Bethlehem, 
came from heaven, put on skin, born as a child, God in flesh. And notice how he puts it in Philippians chapter two, verse seven, but emptied himself, meaning he gave up the throne. He gave up all the glory of heaven, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made into the likeness of men. He came, took on flesh, and he became just like us. Flesh and blood, man. John chapter one, verse 14, we saw a few moments ago. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, God became flesh. Why? The story, I think, really illustrates it. Little girl that was scared, she'd been put to bed, but all of a sudden this whole thunderstorm broke out, lightning flashing and thunder rolling, and it scared her, and she started crying, and her mother came in. Sweetheart, you're in the house, you're safe. You're, you're not gonna be affected by this storm. It's okay, we're just fine. Now go, now go to sleep. And when the mom left, all of a sudden there was this giant crash of thunder that roared. And, and she started crying again. The mother came back in and said, sweetheart, God is in this room. He's taking care of you. It's going to be okay. And through her tears, she said, I know, mommy, that God is in the room. But right now, I need somebody with skin on them to be here with me. That's what Jesus did. He was God who took on skin. And he came to this earth. Now, why would he do it? Why would he take on skin and come to the earth? Because of four reasons. He was born like us. He was born like us, a little child born in a manger in Bethlehem. 100%. Some people say, yeah, I guess 50% God, 50% man. No, 100% God and 100% man. And how does that add up? I don't know. But it is truth is what the Bible tells us about Jesus. Second of all, he grew like us. Listen to what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Not only did his body grow, but his mind grew. He grew in wisdom. How is it that he's, he's 100% God and he's growing? Because he's a 100% man. I don't understand it all, but it's happening. And a passage of scripture that has come to mean so much to me over the last five years, Hebrews chapter five, verse seven and nine. I hope you'll write it down and, and listen and, and go and read it later on. And this verse, this passage of scripture saying, Jesus was growing all the way to the cross. He was growing in his obedience to his heavenly father all the way to the cross. Growing like us. He was tempted like us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. He was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Every way that you're tempted. Every way that you're tempted, he was tempted. He was tempted just like us, yet he never succumbed to the temptation, yet without sin. Now I make a big emphasis about that because of this reason. A few years ago, there was a survey taken about Christianity in America, surveying of people who claim to be Christ followers. And did you know that in that survey, when the question was asked, did Jesus ever sin? 50% of those people that answered said yes. What? 
This is, this is an indication of how so spiritually ignorant we are of the word of God in this country. 50% of them said, yes, Jesus had sinned. Good grief, then how in the world could he be our savior if he had sinned? No, the Bible says that he was without sin. But common sense should tell us he's without sin. If Jesus sinned, then he's a sinner just like us. How could he save us if he needed to be saved? Do you hear what I'm saying? No, yet without sin. It was the only way that he could be our savior. He didn't need a savior. He was the savior, yet without sin. He was tempted. He knows what temptation feels like. He knows the pressure that is against your life by temptation. He understands that. He did not succumb. Here is the fourth thing. He hurts like us. He hurts like us. He felt pain. He felt disappointment. He felt heartbreak. He went through all of that. He went through all of that. There in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, he was a stone's throw from his disciples and he was praying and he was kneeling there. Remember that garden of Gethsemane? He was, he was trying to get his heart totally ready for what was about to happen and all the torture he was going to go through. And as he was praying, the Bible says that there were sweat drops of blood so intense was the, the pain, so intense was the stress that blood began to pour out of his forehead. And Matthew records this part of his prayer. Matthew says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, Jesus was talking, my sorrow is so great, it almost crushes me. My sorrow is so great, it almost crushes me. This is what he was feeling. There's some of you right now, and you are feeling like you're being crushed with your pain and your wound and your hurt and your heartache right now. And there are things that you're going through and pain you're experiencing and hurt and disappointment, and you pray to God, and you cry out to God, and it doesn't go away, and it just keeps going. And you're saying to yourself, when is this ever going to stop in my life? When am I going to get on the other side of this? This is so hurtful. It's so full of sorrow. It is almost crushing me. And I'm just saying Jesus understood. He felt, he felt that pain. He came, he put on skin so he could feel what it feels like to be what we are going through. All the temptations and all the sorrows and all the hurt and all the wounds, 100% man while being 100% God. He knows what life feels like. He came and took on skin so we could live as we live and hurt as we hurt and know what we're going through. But even that is not the end of the story. The next part of the story unfolds. Jesus became our savior on the cross. Listen to Philippians chapter two, verse eight and nine. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If you only know Jesus 
by being a baby in a manger and being a great man and a teacher and all these things, if that's all you know of Jesus, you don't understand the story. He did more than teach us about things we did not understand. He did. He taught us things about God that are not found anywhere in the Old Testament. He helped open our eyes about the truths of God. He performed miracles, but the reason he came was to die on the cross for you. He didn't have to die. It's not that they took his life from him. It's not that they, he had no choice. They were going to nail him on a cross. He couldn't do anything about it. That is not true. He could have called for the angels to come and 10,000 angels would have come. The very moment he was being abused and lied about and spit on, the very moment he began to be whipped to the point of almost death, to the very moment they were they, driving those nails into his hands and his, his feet onto that cross, he could have called for rescue and he would have not gone through that crucifixion. But he came to be crucified because he's the only hope of salvation that we have. He was nailed to the cross and crucified that day for two reasons. One, it is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. The greatest demonstration of the love of God. You're going through hurt and heartache. You're going through hard times and difficulties. And sometimes you're tempted to ask, God, do you still love me? Because if you love me, you wouldn't let me go through all this pain. No, that's wrong. We go through pain and hurt and heartache and sometimes more than we think we can bear. But we're going through these times God is using them to teach us and deepen us and, and, and make us stronger than we've ever dreamed that we could be. And even past the point that we think this makes sense to us, but God is in control. And how do I know? Because he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. It was his love that demonstrates his love. It, it was the, the cross that demonstrates his love for us. In, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, but God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you ever wonder, God, do you still love me? The answer will always be yes, and all you got to do is go to the cross. Go back to the cross. It was Jesus who made the statement in John 3, 16. It was Jesus who said this, for God so loved the world. The word so is the key word. Do you know how much God loves you? For God so loved you so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And he loved not just a few, not just a handful, not just a part of, he loved the whole world. And out of that love for the whole world, he sent his son and Jesus is the one telling us to be the sacrificial atonement, the sacrificial lamb for us on the cross there was a chaplain whose job was assigned during a war. He was assigned to be at that medical hospital where soldiers every day were coming in with wounds, battle wounds, and some of them dying there and others being operated on and living. And he came to, to console and be there and help, each, uh, help them. And he went from one soldier to another. And one of these young men 
who had been shot in the leg and that, that shot destroyed his leg to the point it had to be amputated and he had laid there in the bed. The surgery was over. His leg had been cut off and, and sewn back up and here this chaplain comes and he sits down and they talk and he gets to know this young man and, and they just talk and when they're finished with their conversation and he's finished praying for this young man, he then stands and says to this young soldier, he says, look, I want you to know that you lost your leg for a noble cause. I want you to always remember that. And the soldier said to him, no, sir, that is not true. I did not lose my leg. I gave my leg for a noble cause. Jesus did not lose his life on the cross. He gave his life so that you and I would understand the love of God and how deep it is. And then he died on that cross to pay for our sins with laws of man. There is a penalty for each law. There is, you got to pay the price for the laws of God. All of us had violated the laws of God. And there is a price to pay. It's death. Not, not just the dying of our body, but the dying of our spirit, the dying of our soul. It is, it is being totally separated from God forever. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. The eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I were given a gift that we could not ever earn, the gift of eternal life, the gift of salvation. He died on that cross to pay for our sins so that we could live forever. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he personally carried the load of our sins in his own body when he died on the cross so that we can be finished with sin and live a good life. A lifeguard out at a beach. He's up there on his chair, and there's someone out in, in the deep end, out there in the ocean, has gone too far, and now is beginning to drown and begins to scream for help. And the lifeguard hears it and jumps off that chair and starts swimming toward that person. But when the lifeguard gets close to that person, he stops. Won't go all the way to the person. He stops. He, 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 he stands back. Why? Because this person is flailing their arms and they're trying desperately to not drown. And as long as they're flailing their arms, this lifeguard will not get close to them. Why? Because if he does, they will grab him and they'll drown him with them. The only way this lifeguard can save this person who's drowning is when that person gives up and is no longer trying to save themselves. They have to calm down. And it's only when they calm down, and some of them, some of them, they, they have to give up and say, okay, it's over, I'm drowning. And only then can the lifeguard save them. Reaches out, grabs hold of them, pulls them all the way back in. They're not fighting anymore. They're not trying to live anymore. And only then can the lifeguard save them. And the same thing is true in your life. 
As long as you are trying to earn your way into heaven, as long as you're flailing, I'll do better. I'll try to live better. I'll go to church. I'll get baptized. I'll give to the church. I'll do nice things for others. I've got to try to save myself. As long as you're trying to save yourself, you'll never be saved. It's only when you give up. It's only when you stop trying to save yourself that you are truly saved because then he grabs hold of you. We are saved by faith in Christ alone, not by anything we do. Amen. And three days later, he didn't stay in that grave. Three days later, he rose from the dead and he offers us the gift of eternal life. There's one more part of the story. Even the resurrection's not the end of the story. He says, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Therefore also godly highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of those who are in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. When Jesus ascended back to heaven, he came back to heaven as the great celebrated Savior of the universe. God gave him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You, to know Jesus as your Savior... You must begin there. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I make you the Lord of my life. The word Lord means the boss. I give you control over my life. And believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, not just with your mind, but with your heart. You come to the place and say, I so believe in the resurrection. Not enough to say, oh yeah, I'm sure that the resurrection was an historical event. No, that's not good enough. To come to the place that you commit yourself to him. To so believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I give you my heart. Then you are saved forevermore. One day every person, every religion, every politician, every person who has adored or ignored Jesus will bow their knee and declare that Jesus is Lord. Every atheist, every person who has mocked and ridiculed and denied Jesus Christ, one day when they see him, they will bend their knee and they will confess with their tongue that Jesus is Lord, but it'll be too late. Only on this side, only on this side, only on this side of life does he give you the freedom and opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior, would you do it today? Would you give your heart to Christ today? Would you let this be your story and give your heart to Christ and welcome him into your life? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus, you're my Lord. If you believe in your heart to the point of commitment, I give you my whole life, turning from your sins, turning your heart to Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Would you do it today? Would you do it today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Oh God, I pray for every person listening anywhere in the world right now. Every person that is listening that now would be the day of salvation. By faith would commit their heart to Jesus Christ. Turn from their sins and turn their heart 
You are in charge of my life now. I commit my life to you. Oh, Father, may that become the story of so many here today. The greatest story ever heard. Father, I pray you would move in hearts today. And Father, I pray for those who know Jesus as their Savior today, but they have walked away that they will renew their commitment to Jesus as Lord of their life. Move in hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.